this is the podcast going on salvation and I'm your host Jess Robinson and this is the podcast dealing with the book of John and we're so used to the other three gospel writers that are pretty similar but John is as we all know that he is he is supplemental gospel uh doesn't make his testimony invalid. I mean, it's the Apostle John. He was there with Jesus. It's, he is adding, you know, to the picture of Jesus's life and his ministry. And so, and there's parts of John that, you know, helps us to understand, you know, where Jesus was at ministry wise. He, he includes, several of the feasts that Jesus is atten- attends that the other three gospel writers don't put in there. And we'll see here in today's podcast when it comes to Jesus's trial and crucifixion that his details are more, I you know, first eyewitness account, not saying that Matthew, you know, wasn't there. He was most likely there for the arrest but as we know several of the dis- the uh, the uh, disciples were uh scattered and other than you know two that saw you know Jesus's trial and then you know Peter does his denial and takes off and the others believe that the the disciple mentioned that knew the priest was probably John and so that's why uh we get so uh so much greater detail of Jesus's trial compared to the others not saying that you know and I we have some from Luke that that John doesn't mention and we have some from Mark and some from from Matthew and it just paints a bigger picture as we go along but we're we're Starting off in chapter 10, and we also see John put in different teachings. And we see John really goes into the deity of Christ, that he was God, the Son of God. And uh, and we see a lot of the unbelief of the, the Jewish people, that he was there, saying that I'm sent by the one you know if you know me you know the one who sent me and they didn't uh they didn't see Jesus and we see over and over that that they're blinded and because in that time they had a totally different conception of of who the Messiah was to be now some of them did not want to change the status quo Mainly, that was the Sadducees. They didn't want to stay the or change the status quo that they had with Rome, and and so they saw Jesus as a threat to that status quo that they had that of having of of being where they were at. And so, as we've talked about in previous podcasts, and so we see here in chapter ten, he's talking about the shepherd and his flock. And over and over in the Bible, we will see, you know, being referenced to sheep 
and being from Wyoming, I have known about sheep for a long time. I was in FFA and my best friend showed sheep in high school. And there were times that I had to go help her with her sheep and I did not like sheep. There's a reason why I did not show sheep because they're stubborn and they do not think on their own. Um, I liked showing horses because they think on their own. And yeah, sometimes they they do get all scatterbrained and run around. But generally, if you get them calmed down, they will start thinking. And you can guide them and direct them, but not so much sheep. They do not do well on their own. And so that's why we see a lot of times that we're referenced to sheep because we don't, we're not to carry burdens on our own and we tend to wander away from the flock. And, and so we see that over and over in the Bible and we see Jesus makes this reference to the shepherd and his flock and that, you know, who the good shepherd is and we see this, that he, you know, talks about the sheep and that he is the gate. He's the only way to get in. And and that he's where there's good pasture. And, you know, it's the same, you know, principle that he is the one way to salvation. And the only way to heaven, which is, you know, the pasture is through Jesus. And in chapter 10, what really the the most well-known verse is the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. And essentially in my study Bible, I just have it written as Satan equals bad, Jesus equals good. We tend to attribute bad things to to the Lord and it's, bad things don't come from the Lord. Uh, he will take things that we're meant for our harm and use them for good to glorify his name. But essentially, it's Satan who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Um, you know, when you think about you know, about uh, spiritual battles and even battles in general, when you think about the Romans, generally when they were fighting, you know, we have it perceived in our mind in movies that... You know, we see him hacking and slashing, and that's not how it was. Generally, they were there to injure and distract somebody from the main fight. And that is how the enemy is. And we'll really go into that when we get into further into the, into the New Testament and Paul's letters. Because he goes into a lot of what spiritual warfare is. And so we'll go into that when we get there. And he also references Jesus. It's that he lays down his life and he says, you know, I freely lay down my life. And, you know, some people think, oh, you know, he just didn't have a choice. No, he, he freely gave his life for us. That's just something that we really need to think about is it's freely, you know, and 
And what's so neat about this too is he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. You know, as you're getting into the word and you're praying, you know, and walking this walk of faith with the Lord, you know his voice, you know what is of the Lord and what is not of the Lord as you continue on in your journey. But he also says, I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also, which is, you know, pointing to not just the Israelites that, you know, he was reaching out to in, in his ministry here, but that he was referring to the whole world that there was other sheep. And we see from from that that there's such a division among the Jews that some are saying that he's demon possessed, but there's others that had just seen the the blind man healed that they're going, you know, why would a, a demon open the eyes of a blind man? And so there was this division, but you see over and over this unbelief of the Jews, you know, and we see at the end of chapter 10, they go to pick up stones and, and stone him and, you know, they, they say they're going to stone him because, you know, Jesus had, had said, you know, or they say, because you, a, a mere man claim to be God. And Jesus, it says, when he answered him, is it not written in your law? I have said you are gods. A lot of people misconstrue that verse. It's not a statement of, of Jesus, um, that teaches us believers that, that we are to consider ourselves God. When we see this verse, it's, you know, if we declare ourselves to be gods, we fall under God's condemnation. This was spoken to corrupt rulers of Israel who were partial to the wicked and were cruel to, to children in that time. And these rulers thought they were gods and We'll see one Jewish leader in the book of Acts that doesn't give credit to God and he ends up getting eaten by worms. And so, you know, rulers who think that their gods are going to suffer judgment and die. And to declare oneself a god is the sin of the Antichrist. And we're going to see that in the book of Revelation um, in other areas where the Antichrist is reveal, or revealed in, in the Bible that he claims to be God. And so that's chapter 10 and we get into chapter 11. And as we're kind of continuing on in the book of John, this is leading up to Jesus's crucifixion. And we saw in different, you know, in in the synoptic gospels, his, his journey to Judea, somewhere along this line, the death of Lazarus falls in that where he is heading to Jerusalem. And actually, you know, Lazarus was from Bethany and we know in, from the synoptic gospels on the, the passion week, he would actually stay in Bethany. Jesus would each night. 
um, of the Passion Week. And many believe he was staying with Mary and Martha and Lazarus during that time. And so we get into chapter 11 and it, it goes on the death of Lazarus and it's just, we see here, you know, Jesus, his friend is sick and he says, no, you know, the sickness is not going to end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. And there's a really good book out there going, Lazarus Awakening by Joanna Weaver that goes over this whole chapter of Lazarus's death and how, you know, as believers that we tend to, to stay in the grave. And we see in this story that, you know, and that, that author points out it, we wonder how hard it was for Jesus not to actually go. You know, he tarries and stays. And I wonder how hard it was, but he only did what the father told him to do. And so the father told him to stay there. And so they go back to, to Judea and it's just interesting that, you know, he says, you know, our, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And his disciples think that he's sleeping and doesn't mean that, and didn't, they didn't realize that Lazarus was actually dead. And, um, we see in this story, you know, the first one instead of Mary, and we know Mary is the one that sits before Jesus' feet instead of Martha. But the roles are different in this chapter. We see Martha is the first one to go out to Jesus. And the first thing she says is, if you had been here, my brother would have not would not have died. So, you know, there's times in our lives going, God, if you would have, you know, done this, healed, you know, my, you know, so-and-so with cancer, you know, we kind of just, it's if you would have blank, we kind of do that. But we see with Martha, it's different. She says, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And so it's, you know, there's a lot of times we go, if, but we have to go with, with what God wants and, and trusting what God has in store for us. And Jesus tells her, your brother will rise again. And she you know, Martha believed in the resurrection. There was, you know, factions with the Jews that some believed in the resurrection, some didn't believe in the resurrection. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection, the Pharisees did. That's why Jesus will see actually that several Pharisees actually end up believing in Jesus because they had the same same beliefs. You know, 
Saul versus Sadducees had a, a harder time because they did not believe in the resurrection. But she believes in the resurrection. She thinks, oh, you know, he's going to come up on the last day. And Jesus, you know, he says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And, you know, when we believe in Jesus, physical death is not a tragic end. It's just a doorway to the next life with with God in eternity. You know, our our we have you know immortal bodies in heaven that will not die. And there will be a time when with the resurrection that you know our spiritual bodies will come back to our physical bodies and those physical bodies will be immortal at that point. And he asks her, do you believe this? And she, she makes that statement of faith of, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ. Then Mary comes along and Mary does the same thing. If, if you would have been here, you know, you know, my brother would not have died. And at this point, you know, Jesus sees her weeping and he is deeply moved in the spirit and he actually weeps. And it's just two words. Jesus wept. And it, it reveals this deep sympathy God feels for the sorrow of his people. And the verb here, you know, for wept, it indicates that Jesus burst into tears, then wept silently. You know, we can take this as a comfort, especially when we experience sorrow, because Christ feels the same sympathy for us that he felt for for Mary and Martha. He loves us that much. And this verse is occurring in this book that stresses Jesus' deity more than any of the other Gospels. And because he's weeping, you know, it shows that God does have a deep emotional and sympathetic love for us and others as well. And we see that he goes to where Lazarus was laid and you know, it was a big step of faith because he'd been there for, for four days. And it was a step of faith for Martha and Mary to let the, the stone be removed. And we think about when Lazarus does come up, you know, people think, oh, he was probably like all zombie. And it's like, no, he was alive. He was fully alive and restored. And... Sometimes we think, and he, you know, he tells, Jesus tells the people to go and take off the grave clothes and let Lazarus go. And sometimes when we're, when we're believers, we want to stay in our own selves. We're comfortable in our grave clothes. 
but Jesus calls us forth into a new life with him and and to go forward in that and we have to leave those grave clothes behind so you know we have this with Lazarus and then there's the plot to kill to kill Jesus and we also notice that they also have a plot to kill Lazarus because there was people believing because Lazarus had been raised from the dead. So they make this plan and we see here that Caiaphas, you know, he was the high priest. He ended up having a prophecy, you know, that year that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation and not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. And so they, they plan, but I, it's not because of that vision. It's because they're worried that the Romans are, are going to come and take their nation away. They didn't want that to happen. And so we have the Passover come, and we see uh, John does a little bit different with the Passion Week. He doesn't go over everything, but we see... With Jesus being anointed at Bethany, uh, we know that it's Mary, the, the sister of Martha, that takes the pine of Pernard that is mentioned in the other synoptic gospels that occurs in the middle of the Passion Week. He puts that before the triumphal, triumphant uh, entry. Uh, and then he has the triumphant entry. And it's, it's more... Um, it's kind of like Mark. It just kind of goes over the basics of what happened. And then we see he goes more into detail on the night of of his own of of Jesus's death. You know, John points out, you know, Jesus washing his disciples' feet, and Jesus. Washing his disciples' feet was a a form of humility. You know, it demonstrated to his disciples how much he loved them. It foreshadowed his self-sacrifice on the cross. And it conveyed the truth that he was calling his disciples to serve one another in humility. And we see, especially, you know, in the Synoptic Gospels about where you know, who is the greatest, and he was, you know, going through those parables of, of, of service, and so here, John uses the, the washing of the disciples' feet to talk about humility, and that they were to serve each other, and then also with this, you know, with Peter, with where he, he wanted Jesus just, he didn't want Jesus to wash his feet. You know, Jesus, when he says, unless I wash you, they these words were pointing to a spiritual washing from sin through the cross. You know, apart from this washing, no one can belong to Christ. So there's the washing of his feet. He predicts his betrayal. And we see in here that, you know, John likes to brag about himself, calling him the one 
that Jesus loved and that his his version of Jesus predicting his betrayal is a little bit different. It adds more to from what uh, the synoptics had. You know, Jesus predicts, you know, Peter's um, denial. Then, you know, we have 14 and, and 15 and 16. You know, uh, really, this is before his arrest. And in 14, 15, and 16, it's all point. You know, there's one thing that's common is the promise of the Holy Spirit. Uh, that he was bringing the Holy Spirit as a counselor, a comforter. And that he had to go in order for the Holy Spirit to come. And that's the huge thing, you know, in my belief is being baptized in the Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit is our counselor. You know, he is that in-between person when you're praying. And especially praying in tongues, it's, he's conveying the, what you need to, to the Lord. And... And so that that's something that's really uh, portrayed in 14, 15, and 16. In 14, he also does this whole thing of, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only one in any religion to make that kind of statement. Muhammad never claimed to be truth. Buddha and Gandhi never claimed to be truth. All of them were seeking for truth, but they were never they never claimed to be truth. And because he claimed to be truth, he stood out among all these other that he is the truth. And and then 15 he talks about the vine and the branches. That really uh, stood out to me was the vine and the branches. That we're, you know, he is the vine, we are the fruit, and we can't be apart from him. You know, we can't work away from him. And there's actually this part where he says, You know, while he every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. When you think about gardening that you do, you you weed to get away the the weeds that are going to inhibit the growth of you know your vegetable plant, your flower garden, your your fruit. But you also prune in order for more fruit to come. And so we go through a life where, you know, God is pruning away things in order for us to become more fruitful, more abundant in his kingdom and in our relationship with him. And in 15, he also points out for us to love each other, you know, and that greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends and he... Jesus did that. He laid his life down for his friends. And, you know, it's a commandment to love each other. 
And then he talks about the world hating the disciples. And this is something as believers that we can take into our own life. That when we feel rejection by the world, it's because it's not that they reject us. It's that they reject the Lord. And, you know, we, all we can do is pray for those people who reject the Lord and that their eyes would be open because, you know, they're being deceived by Satan, you know, and, and that he, he's our main enemy. And so you have to, you know, pray for those people. And, you know, we talked about the Holy Spirit for a a little bit ago. Then we go to 17, and 17 is this prayer from Jesus, you know, especially a prayer for all believers. You know, his final prayer for his disciples, um, it showed his deep, deepest longings for his followers, both then and now. It's a spirit-inspired example of how pastors should pray for their people. Um, it's, it's inspiration for Christian parents, how they should pray for their children. You know, and praying for those under our care. You know, the greatest concern should be that, you know, that they know Jesus Christ and his word intimately. That God may keep them from the world you know, not take them from the world, but keep them from falling away from Satan and from false teaching. That they constantly possess the full joy of Christ. That they may be holy in thought, deed, and character. Uh, that they may be one in purpose and fellowship. As demonstrated by Jesus and the Father. That they may lead others to Christ. That they may persevere in the faith and finally be with Christ in heaven. And finally, that the love that the Father has for Jesus may be in them, so that they love Jesus with the same fervent love that the Father does, and that Christ by His Spirit may dwell in and within them. And that is His prayer. He's arrested, and John provides a little bit more detail of Jesus' arrest. Um, We find out it's Peter, that's the one that cut off the, the... the high priest's servant's ear. and But we see John also puts in that, you know, Jesus actually is taken first to Annas before he's taken to Caiaphas. And then he goes before the Sanhedrin. His trial happens. We see Peter's first denial. Um, we see a little bit more detail about the high priest questioning Jesus. We see a little bit more different detail with his interaction with Pilate that we don't see in the other Gospels. And that even Pilate was sitting here going, who are you? And then, you know, he's sentenced to to be crucified and, and... And so John kind of ends up, you know, he correlates, but he also adds a little bit of a bigger picture to what we have seen in the past Gospels. 
at the crucifixion that we see, uh, one of the things that ends up that John writes about is he says the disciple whom he loved standing nearby and it was with Jesus's mother Mary and he says dear woman here's your son and to the disciple here's your mother from that time on this disciple took her into his home and that's why we know it's John because based on historical records John did take Mary into his home we know that she was in Ephesus with John. John was in the church of Ephesus. And how we know that is because a church was built there. A lot of our church um, history was preserved was because a, a church was built there. And that's where the history was there. And that's um, what ended up happening is... John ended up taking Mary with him. He went to Ephesus and Mary is buried where Ephesus was at. And there's actually a place where people can get baptized over there. There And, and it just really, you know, really emphasized this, this word, just seeing what actually did happen. And so we're going to stop there for this week's podcast. And so for next week, we're going to finish the book of John, starting on chapter 19, verse 28. We're going to read John 20 and 21. And then we're going to start the book of Acts, going through chapter 1, through chapter 3, verse 26. And that is it for this week. So have a great week, and we'll see you next Friday. Mm -hmm.